Welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Hello, boys and girls. This is the Going Postal Cast. I am author Christopher Chapman, and this is the greatest podcast on the planet. No exaggeration here. Hope all of you are doing well. It has been a month since the last time that I sat down and recorded an episode for you. It feels good to be back in the saddle. A lot has happened in the last month. A lot is going to be happening over the course of the last month as I give to you the final story from Secrets Out. This is going to be The House. This is the longest story from the Secrets Out collection, and there will be some news about Secrets Out at the tail end of the episode. I want to get right into the episode. We're going to do quite a bit of talking after I play the story. So here it is, part one of four of The House. The House by Christopher Chapman. One. Mitch Anderson considered himself famous. Well, sort of. He was the host of a television show on a lowly television network that 99 out of 100 people would have sworn they'd never heard of. He was proud of his work. He was the host of Afterlife Changers, a television show that was all about the pursuit of truth when it came to the afterlife. In terms that most people could understand, he was a ghost hunter. Mitch hadn't always been a ghost hunter, He used to be a pastor for a Pentecostal church. He did that for many years, but found it to be less and less fulfilling as time went on. It wasn't that he stopped believing in God. It was far from that. He discovered that there was no money in believing in the Lord. As it would turn out, there was a lot of money to be made in ghost hunting. He bought the best ghost hunting equipment that he could afford the day after he quit the church. He went to a website that specialized in ghost hunting equipment. He was determined to make the best of his endeavor. He made his own videos, using the video camera that his wife had bought him to use to record his sermons. He'd used the camera only a few times up until then, but had decided that it was better served for his new project. He went around to local hotspots to search for ghosts. Living where he did, in southern Michigan, there wasn't a whole lot to speak of. Most of the places seemed to be out of Detroit, which was nothing more than a barren wasteland nowadays. There was no kick in that, and it didn't bring in any of his hits on his YouTube page. He finally struck gold on a trip to Niagara, Wisconsin. There was a house that people said was haunted by a couple that had been murdered by their son over a decade earlier. He stayed the night in the house, recording everything. There were multiple times when he felt the presence, capturing it on camera. Using the infrared, he caught a glimpse of somebody moving around upstairs. There were two issues with that. There was nobody up there when he got upstairs, and there was almost no body heat coming from the object that was definitely human. After that house, and the discussion surrounding his discovery, 
His YouTube hits were off the charts, going up more than 500% over the course of a couple of weeks. It also brought attention to his older videos, which also garnered the interest of a television executive that was trying to get a floundering network back on its feet. The Spook Network was a small network that devoted most of its time to showing reruns of Supernatural, as well as almost around-the-clock horror movies. They did have two original programs, and Afterlife Changers became one of them. Ratings for the network as a whole weren't very good, but Afterlife Changers became their highest-rated program, but that wasn't really saying a whole lot. Mitch loved his job. What wasn't there to like? He'd filmed 12 episodes per season for the last two years, and had just been renewed for a third season. He was laughing his ass off all the way to the bank, and he barely had to do anything. The whole idea that there really were ghosts out there seemed ridiculous to him. He'd already been in 24 haunted locations, and came up with nothing that he didn't implant himself. He created the tension and feelings that somebody or something was in the room with him. He had a crew of two other people that assisted off-camera, making sure that there were noises that he could get a good listen to. The viewers ate it up. The only time where there had been unexplained noises was at the house in Niagara where the couple had died. He'd seen that image on camera, but passed it off as something else. Something that the cameras hadn't caught was that he thought that he'd heard a voice saying something about death. But that had been so faint that he passed it off as nothing more than his imagination or the wind outside. This season had to be different. With other shows on other networks ramping up their efforts, he was going to be forced to do the same. Between the shows, it was getting harder to go places where none of the other shows had gone first. He knew that if he chose the right place, he could boost his ratings and win the race, possibly even knocking others down a peg or three. He spent most of his time looking for places that would have high levels of drama. He wanted someplace old where something bad had happened. He could already envision what the commercials would look like, and that would grab the attention of viewers at home. Most of the time, he came up with something that the other shows had already looked at, but he occasionally found something that he needed to consider. After weeks of searching, he discovered a place that the other shows would never know about. That was because nobody was aware that it was haunted. Mitch knew that it wasn't really haunted, but he knew there was a great story behind it, and he was going to tell the whole story on camera for the world to see. He did a lot of research for the show. After dropping out of the religion game, he'd had a lot more time to devote to other things, mostly the show and a little bit towards his family. The former had made him nearly $100,000 that he still had in the bank, as well as allowing him to buy that new house and car he'd wanted. No church in the world could do that, unless he became a televangelist, and that was something he really didn't want to do because that was too much like being an infomercial salesman. The house he discovered was actually not far from where he'd lived much of his life. It was in Carson City, Michigan. The town was about 30 miles northeast of Grand Rapids. It was built to house the guards that worked at the local prison. It was because of them that he knew about the house. He interviewed a CO from that prison. He told Mitch about an apartment that bad things happened in. People died. People lost their minds, killed their families, then killed themselves with whatever weapon was handy at the time. And it happened over and over again. The death toll stood at 11, through five families. The murders were so spread out that nobody did the math on it. 
After doing a little bit of research, Mitch was able to put two and two together. He saw the pattern and knew he could sell it to his viewers that this was an evil place that got into your mind and made you do horrible things. The drama would be perfect, but it was going to be so large that he wasn't going to be able to contain it in just one episode. He thought that this was going to be better as a two or even a three-parter. The story was that damn good. The truth about the house was that each of the murders had taken place five years after one another. It had been kept a secret because of the law. Real estate agents did not have to disclose whether somebody died in the house if it had been more than three years since it happened. They were smart, waiting to rent out the house until it had reached that point. A buyer would come in from another town, moved in the house four years after the last murder, then kill his family and take his own life a few months later. Police investigated each and every murder, saying that it was only a coincidence that murders kept occurring in the same location. They did their research, digging up information on the man of the house, painting a picture in which either he drank way too much or had a checkered pass with violence. Mitch viewed each and every one of the files. He knew when something was cooked up. This definitely was. Mitch wondered why the town would keep something like this quiet. It was a small town. They obviously knew what happened in that house, and were well aware that bad things happened to people five years after the previous murder. Mitch tried to understand what could cause people to do something like that. He seriously doubted the existence of real ghosts, but he couldn't deny the fact that he was intrigued by this house. Also, there were no records of what happened in the house from more than 30 years ago. It was as if the house only came into existence at that point, although Mitch knew that it was much older than that. He knew that the house had to be built over a hundred years ago. It might very well have been one of the first houses in Carson City. There had to be a history, but he didn't know how to get a hold of it. All of his research had turned up nothing before 30 years ago. It was as if the house didn't exist before then, when it most certainly did. The good thing was that the house was no longer for sale. It was an apartment that the real estate company had purchased and started renting out. Mitch studied everything there was about the real estate company, as well as the agent in charge of the house. That turned out to be a very interesting conversation. 2. Mitch sat in Dennis Jackson's office, looking over the pictures of old homes that were either for sale or rent. He was attempting to play at coy. He wanted to see what information he could get out of the agent before he did his real work, letting him know who he was and trying to get a better deal on the house. I want this house, Mitch said, pointing to the house he'd read so much about in the previous three months. His wife was upset over the idea that he was temporarily moving them for a television show. She'd been looking over his shoulder on many occasions when he looked at something about the house. She told him that she was growing tired of the place before she'd ever stepped foot in it. Really? Dennis asked. I've had a lot of interest in that house. I might not have it available. Mitch knew that he was trying to use his salesmanship to try getting him to rent the house for either a higher price or before he could change his mind about it. Mitch was going to try getting the best deal he could, but that wasn't what he was going for quite yet. You'll have to get the application into me as soon as you can. If you're really interested in it, you'll have to make up your mind immediately. I think I've made up my mind, Mitch said. I just have a few questions I need to ask first. How's the roof? We just had the roof replaced three years ago. 
Dennis replied. Mitch knew that was accurate. We also replaced the wall because we had some sort of infestation. I guarantee you that's all cleared up. He knew that the wall had to be replaced because the previous owner had used it to repeatedly bash his wife's skull. He literally shattered her skull by repeatedly breaking through the drywall, smashing her against the studs underneath. Okay, that sounds wonderful, Mitch said, displaying his best salesman smile. Also, has anybody ever died in this house? Perhaps he went to the question a little soon. Mitch saw the way his smile wavered. He was trying to decide whether or not Mitch knew anything about the house's past. Where did you say you were from again? Dennis asked. Seattle, Mitch lied. Then no, as far as I know, there has never been anybody who has ever died in that house, Dennis said, his smile returning to full force. They bantered back and forth for a few minutes before the application came out. Mitch filled it out, putting in the fake address he'd come up with. He handed it to Dennis and stared at him. You can go ahead and approve it now, Mitch said smugly. We have to go through a process. Cut the shit. I know as well as you do that nobody is interested in that house for buying, renting, or anything else of the sort. I know about all of the people who've died horrifically in that house. I don't know what. Can we please cut the shit? Mitch paused. He waited for Dennis to say something in response, but he backed off. Good. I know about the house, and I know about the bad things that happen there every five years. I know that you legally don't have to tell me anything about what happened there before, and that's a good racket you're running, but some of us are actually pretty smart. He paused, letting what he said sink in. I want $100 off the rental price, and there will be no security deposit. What makes you think? You will do what I want because I'm going to be doing you a favor, Mitch said. I'm about to make public that this is a haunted house. I have my own television show, Afterlife Changers. Never heard of it. You will, Mitch said. I'm going to be doing my show from here for a while. I will be adding to the lore of this place because it hasn't had any up to this point. When I'm done with it, you'll be able to charge twice as much for this place and get what you want out of it easily. Money doesn't matter, Dennis said. You say that now, Mitch replied. This place is going to be famous. After what has already happened here, I'm surprised that it already isn't. Five murders, five years apart each. People are going to eat that shit up. You're going to be thanking me when I'm done here. What do you say? Dennis looked at him long and hard. He looked as if he were trying to assess the threat even though it wasn't much of one. Mitch was going to give him the opportunity to increase his business and possibly even add value to the entire town. People love to be around haunted houses. Even if they couldn't live in the house, they like being down the block from it. He was single-handedly going to increase the land value of every house within a mile radius of it. Dennis should be kissing his ass for that. I don't think you realize just how big of a mistake you're making, Dennis said. If you think that you can just go into that house with your cameras and fancy equipment, you're dead wrong. That's not how this thing works. You might think that you're here to film the existence of ghosts, but that's not why you're here. Why am I here then? 
Mitch asked. Dunno, Dennis said. That's none of my business. I'll give you the discount, but this better be the last time that you ever talk to me about this, because I'll deny anything and everything. As far as I'm concerned, you're Manny Smith from Seattle. I don't even want to know your real name. Thank you, Mitch said, feeling as if this wasn't going the way he had planned. No thanks either. I'm not even going to take the time to remember the name of your fucking show either. Because I know that I'll never see the light of day. Actually, we've been on the air for two seasons, plus another eight or nine episodes on YouTube. That's all good and dandy, but I don't really give a shit. You've obviously come here for a reason, and I'm sure you'll find out what that reason is soon enough. It was a pleasure to meet you. I hope that the only correspondence we have from this point on is when I see your check in the mail every month. 3. Mitch had kept everything a secret from his wife. He never told her that the house they would be moving into was haunted. He told her that he would be going to work every day for the next three months, driving around to various spots in the area to check out their hauntings. She would have never agreed to be involved in the project he was proposing. First off, she would have bought into the idea that people that moved into the house would snap and kill people. Mitch knew that that was most likely a coincidence, but he was going to play up the drama. He hadn't found any ghosts up to this point, and knew that he wasn't going to find any ghosts in this house. He wasn't going to snap and kill his wife and kid. He didn't have that kind of violence in him. He was a good person that still had many of the values that he'd had when he was still a pastor. He still had many of the God-believing tendencies that would never succumb to that kind of influence. He found it funny what Dennis had said to him. He didn't remember the exact words because he hadn't been paying very close attention at the time. But he was sure that he'd said something about the house choosing him. What in the hell was that about? He'd sought out this house by doing a shit ton of homework. He had found this diamond in the rough and was willing to spend the next few months of his life preparing one hell of a show. This was the first season that the network had ordered more than 13 episodes. He had to fill an 18-episode season with content, and was going to make it the best damn season he could. He had other locations lined up in other places, and would be going there in due time. He wanted to get this location out of the way first because this was the kind of place that they would run promos for for months before the actual episode aired. It was a great way to start off a new season. They moved into the apartment less than a week after he signed the paperwork. He had to come to the apartment a full three days before Linda, his wife, was to join him. He needed that time to set up all of the equipment. He had to install the video cameras in every room of the house. He also installed thermal cameras, which picked up heat signatures. The cameras were designed to record when there was movement, or sudden changes in temperature. He designed the equipment himself, knowing that this was the best way to do it. He was a bit worried about what Linda would say when the episode aired, and she saw that there had even been a video camera in their bedroom. There was bound to be some activities that would be recorded in the time they stayed in the house. He hoped that the money that they'd receive for his work would make her understand that he was just doing his job, and it was all for the best. Mitch didn't like being in the house by himself. He had suspicions that it was because he knew the truth about what had happened in the house. 
He wasn't one of those people who freaked out after learning that their house had a violent history. He welcomed it, but still gave him an uneasy feeling. He hadn't had a feeling like this since the house in Wisconsin that he thought he'd heard the voice in. There was something about this house that was far different from the others, but he knew that everything would turn out right. They always did. When Linda arrived with their son, Russ, he had just finished everything, including making sure that he had a room in which he could view all of the data as it was coming in. He would pass it off as his edit room, where he was supposed to go to make edits of the footage. He would use a program to access these computers while he was away from the house for the day, making sure that his story worked with Linda. Linda looked around the house slowly. She was normally very quick to move from room to room, investigating everything, but she took her time in this one. Her facial expressions changed with each and every room. Sometimes she would give an uneasy smile, while other times she would openly frown. "'What's wrong?' Mitch asked her shortly after entering their fourth room. I don't know, Linda replied. I guess that I'm not a real big fan of this house. Did you check with the real estate agent to make sure that there was nothing wrong with it? He cringed at the question. He hated having to lie to his wife, but it was the only way that he was going to be able to get a good account of what was happening here and be able to play up the drama properly. He looked for a way to tell her something without giving anything away. He found a way to be honest with her. I asked. He said that there wasn't. It wasn't a lie. He had asked. The real estate agent did what he legally was supposed to, telling them that there hadn't been. He had been lying, but she didn't need to know that. Linda gave him a thin smile. That's good, she said. I guess that it might just have been the drive. I hate having to drive those big moving trucks. You're driving the other one when we go home in a couple of months. Deal? Deal. That was part one of The House. Just starting to lay the groundwork for the upcoming episodes and the upcoming portions of the story. So... It has been a month, so there has been a lot going on, and I'm going to talk about it now. We get to start with Secrets Out is available. Basically, about the time that this episode is going to be hitting the airwaves, hitting the internet, it should be available and should be starting to ship. That does not mean that it's necessarily going to be on iTunes or Nook, Kindle, and all those other places, but it should start shipping. And they should be popping up all over the internet in the next couple of days to the next week or so. Some of these places take forever. I'm working on trying to get that squared away. It would kind of help if I were a bigger publisher, but unfortunately I'm not, and so this is the trade-off that I get to get it out to you in the best available ways. And for some reason my voice raised at the end of that. Not really sure why. But also, uh, if you pre-ordered through GoingPostalPublishing.com, those will be shipping this week. So you should be getting yours hopefully by the end of the week. And the ebooks should be available for download. If you pre-ordered them, you will be getting them in an email. If if not, if you're gonna wait until it's out, it should the actual links to download should be available sometime this week. 
I am putting the finishing touches on that now that every been, everything has been accepted and everything looks like it's all pretty and awesome and all that good stuff. Now it should be available any day now. Now I'm going to talk about the sale. I did this last year for my birthday. I don't celebrate my birthday, but I'm celebrating for you. As in 99 cent ebooks for the foreseeable future, for a couple of days at least, for a couple weeks, depending on how long it takes places like iTunes and Nook and Kindle to put them on their sites and take them off the sites. If I were you, I'd be checking facebook.com slash publishing because I'm checking to see when they're going to be available. I've already entered in to have the prices changed down to $0.99. Cents, and as soon as I see that they are $0.99, cents, I will post to Facebook. Of course, on goingpostalpublishing.com on Monday, which is the 7th of July, I will be posting the ebooks for $0.99 cents, and we'll be running that probably through the rest of the week. People, the easiest way to get any of my books is actually through the website. Of course, I don't get to uh, watch my stats go up and down on places like Amazon when you buy through the website, but it is well worth it in the fact that it is the easiest way to do it, and I don't have to deal with each one of the companies doing it their own way. Enough about that. That's going to take care of itself, and I hope you take advantage of the 99 cent sale. Now a little bit about what's been going on. So I've started a new book, a new novel that I am writing. I just eclipsed over 30,000 words into it. It is so far really good. I am really enjoying writing it and it has been flowing. It is. If I had more time to write, it would be done by now. I've been working on it for about 15 days and it has been incredible how well it's going. Nothing really to report in the rehab and health area. That's been all going fairly well. Been getting a little bit tired now that it's the dog days of summer and it's humid. And some days I just don't feel like getting up and doing much of anything. But I get my writing work done. I get my day job done. And I get my taking care of my kids job done. Those are the most important But I guess that's all I got for you this week. I will be back next week with a new episode, part two of The House. So you know you can go to goingpostalpublishing.com. You can email me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. I already told you about the Facebook. The Twitter is at goingpostalpub. And if you're going to be doing any shopping on Amazon, you can just click through the banner on goingpostalpublishing.com. And a few pennies will come my way that I will, in turn, turn into something for the podcast. Thank you all for your support. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for staying subscribed on iTunes. And just thank you. Have a great week. I will be back next week. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing.